nerve-wracking looking at all you people. Man, you get nervous. <laughs> uh, thank you, Tom, for doing that. He was so nervous, and he did well. Yes. Amen. Well, I must say, I was hoodwinked last week. I cannot begin to thank you guys for your kindness and your generosity. Um, it was unreal. It's still unreal, honestly. Um, last weekend, if you're not aware, you saw a video of what kind of happened. But uh, <clears throat> there was this master plan that happened to try to get me out of out of here, and I um, I didn't I didn't go very willingly because my daughter that lives up in Visalia had asked me to come up and go blueberry picking with the family because they have blueberry farms up there that she go, uh, that they own and stuff and. And I said, no, I'm not going to go blueberry picking and miss a Sunday. Mom will go and Deanna will go and I will just eat the fruit when it gets back, you know. And I'll come on, Dad, we want to do something special, blah, blah. It's like, it's blueberry picking. <laughs> and it's like, no. And so she comes back and, and she's pregnant and she says, well, we're going to be having an ultrasound around that time and we're going to reveal the sex of the baby. And we want to do something elaborate, something big. And I'm saying, listen, Deanna, or Deborah, not Deanna's pregnant. De- Deanna's not pregnant. <laughs> Deborah, my daughter, <laughs> I said, you could call me and let me know what it is. FaceTime me, do whatever. But I'm not missing another Sunday because I had missed a few Sundays. And I don't want to miss a Sunday. And so we're going back and forth. She goes, well, brother's going to come up and blah, blah, blah. And the Avanelis's, the other you know, parents are going to be here. We're going to do this big old thing. And it's like... I said, you know what, let me ask the board. Uh, and I figured at that point she'd go, well, okay. And I call the board or text them and s- tell them what's going on. They're like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, everybody. You know, little did I know they're all in on it. <laughs> and it's like at least one of you guys tell me, hey, bro, you've already missed a few Sundays. I'm like, knock it off. And um, so be that as it may, we took off. And then on Sunday, my daughter Deanna, who is not pregnant again, um, <laughs> Um, she says, Dad, we need to leave like about three. And I'm going, it's my day off the next day, so I could be here all night and I'll drive you guys home. You guys can sleep. And no, Dad, we really should get home early, blah, blah, this and that. And it's like, no, no. You know, you guys drag me up here. I'm going to stay here. And Blanca, you know, sweet Blanca, she's like, honey, maybe she has homework. It's like, well, she should have brought it. And she should have done it here. So, no, I'm not going to leave when she tells me to go because I want to win this one. I'm not going to do what she tells me to do and what they've all told me to do. And so we leave later, and that's why we got home late. And honestly, I could not. I know you guys had bets that I would be crying like a little girl. I couldn't even cry. I was like, it was so ridiculous. Honestly, I could not believe what had happened. And I could not stop laughing. And it was ridiculous because it was like this nervous, like, I, I don't understand this. I don't know why you guys would do this. And um, anyways, it was, you know, people were telling me, oh, because we love you. It's like, well, just tell me you love me, and that's all you got to do. You don't have to do anything else. You know, I love you guys. You guys love me. That's cool. Done deal. But we will be ever indebted to you. We are so grateful for you guys, and I, I just love you guys. My wife, again, man, she's been desiring something like this, but her lazy husband would never do something like this. <laughs> And so, um, bless, bless, bless you guys. Let's let's pray real quick, and we'll we'll get we'll get going here. Father, again, thank you so much for these people, Lord. And I pray your blessing upon each and every one of them, Lord God. And even as we get into your word, bless it in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Amen. Well, this morning is Palm Sunday. If you're not aware of it, uh, most of you guys are. Um, we are in between books right now. We finished. First uh, Peter a couple of weeks ago, and we won't start Second Peter until another couple of weeks because next week is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we will be celebrating that in the morning at six o'clock at the stadium. I am so stoked! I love, I love sunrise services. I've been going to them for 33 years, and uh, I just love. There's something about being out there, and. Um, the sun coming up on a you know good good day good weather, 
um, there's just something about being out there and that happening. And, and then it's like, awesome, awesome, awesome. We'll be having the same service here. Um, so you, if you want to come here, that's, that's up to you totally. But um, I want to invite you guys, if you guys want, to come out Thursday night. We're not having a good Friday service this year. Um, just kind of thinking about it, praying about it. And I just like, we, we're not going to do it. And I know some of you guys are going, really? And it's like, well, you know what? I want to invite you to come out this Thursday night. We're going to take a break from Romans, uh, the book of Romans right now. And I just kind of want to do the rest of this Passion Week um, on Thursday night. And just, just kind of end up in the upper room with Jesus and his disciples and having communion. And I just want to have communion on Thursday night as we kind of go through that whole week and just kind of looking to Good Friday. And um, and so, again, if you're more than welcome to come out, I want to invite you guys to come out. It's just going to be a sweet time with the church and just having uh, an in- intimate time of communion with the body. And so I invite you to come out on Thursday night. But anyways, today is Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday marks the beginning of a couple of historical events. And one of the historical events that that kind of kicks off here is what is known as the Passion Week, as I just mentioned. This Passion Week, in essence, is a week of suffering. And it starts like on Palm Sunday, as Jesus comes into Jerusalem and and things like that. Um, It it, it ends or culminates with the crucifixion, death, and burial of Jesus Christ. It is historical in that the historical figure, the central figure of this event, of this day, of that week, is Jesus Christ. And he is tested, he is tried, he is convicted, and he is executed. And the only thing that can be laid to his charge is that this is Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. As they came and they accused him of so many things before Pilate, Everything that they were throwing at him could not stick. And so on the cross, they would put the accusation above the, the, the person. And above the, 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 the cross, it said, Jesus Christ uh, of Nazareth, King of the Jews. That's all they can, they can pin on him. You know, they, they came and they threw accusations at him. The biggest one is that he's blaspheming. And to them, it's like, man, that's treason. You're calling yourself God, and that is not true. Well, Jesus wasn't lying. He is God. It wasn't blasphemy. He was speaking the truth. They were the ones that were denying it. He had committed no crime. None whatsoever he couldn't, in that sense. He was an innocent man, but he was not an ordinary man. To say that he is innocent is an understatement. No, he is, he is sinless. He is a sinless man. And he would change history. The, o- the other historical event that happens on Palm Sunday is that the church age begins in a sense. Because the clock stops. The time clock stops on that day. God sets Israel aside for a time. Oh, he's not done with Israel. But he's going to set them aside for that time because he's going to build his church. Because the time clock stopped that day, we are now in what is called the age of grace. And because we are in the age of grace, we should cry out for joy that we are in grace right now and not under the Old Testament under the old covenant. We, we should cry out for joy because if we don't cry out, the rocks will cry out. So we're in Luke chapter 19, if you will. If you make your way over to, to Luke 19. The triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It says, beginning in verse 28, When he had said this, he went ahead, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near Bethphage and Bethany, that the mountain, at the mountain called Olivet, 
that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where you will enter in and find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why you you are loosening it, thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he said to them. But as they were loosening the colt, the owner of it said to them, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosening the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw uh, their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then, as he was now nearing, uh, drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to them from the crowd, called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For, the, for days will come upon you when your enemy will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And you will not leave, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Going back to verse 8, where it says, And when he had said this, Jesus had just come out of Jericho. He had visited uh, and met with Zacchaeus there in Jericho. And after meeting with Zacchaeus, he begins to tell the story about a man who had taken this journey and left uh, his, his servants with some work to do. And so he, he, he comes back and, and, you know, asks the servants what had gone on and, and what kind of profit they had made for him and stuff. And so that's why he says, and after he had said these things, after he had shared this parable with them. But it says that he went on ahead. He went on ahead. Knowing what was going to take place in that week to come, I like that it says of Jesus in this verse, he went on ahead. Now, obviously, I know exactly what this means literally, that he went on ahead. That as they were walking, he was walking in front of the disciples. They were all walking behind him. In the literal sense, that's what he is doing. He is walking in front of them. But even in the literal sense, knowing what was about to happen in Jerusalem that week, he didn't draw back and he didn't tell his disciples, hey, why don't you guys go in front of me a little bit here? You know, thinking, what if somebody throws a rock? You know, you guys get it before I do. You know, he, he, he's, he's not thinking that he's going to go on ahead and if somebody throws a rock, it's going to hit him. And so that's what he's doing. He is going on ahead. Knowing what is about to happen, he doesn't back up. He doesn't back down. And he's not going to fall back. No, he is out in front. Guys, that's, this is who we serve. A leader that goes out in front. Knowing what's ahead, he doesn't back down. He goes before you in everything. He doesn't say, here, let me push you and you go out and see what happens to you. No, he always goes in front of us. Even if there's trials in front of our lives, Jesus will always be in front. He goes on ahead for his people, for his disciples. As a Jew, Jesus had gone up to Jerusalem many, many times throughout his life. He was a good Jew. And when you got to a certain age, you had to go to Jerusalem 
as a man, as a male, at least three times for the festival. Here it happened to be Passover. And so all the males were to make their way to Jerusalem. And so there would be hundreds of thousands, millions of people coming from all over the place to converge upon Jerusalem area because of the Passover. Even though Jesus lived in the northern area of Israel and did most of his ministry up in the Galilee area, it was time to go down to Jerusalem. And he had made that trip several times throughout his ministry and several times throughout that year. But he knew something this this time. Well, he knew it all along. He knew that this would be his last time. He knew that he would not be going back to where his ministry place was at up in Galilee, up in Capernaum. He knew that. And yet he still went ahead. He knew that he, he wouldn't leave that area any longer. He went on ahead. It, it, it's almost like Jesus was resolute. He was unyielding, perhaps even stubborn, in the sense that he was going to make his way to Jerusalem, and nothing was going to stop him from getting there. And so he was going on ahead. I like what, what Luke 9.51 um, says, that Jesus uh, steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. When he was in, in a different place, he, he was talking to his disciples about what would befall him and how he was going to die. And he would be handed over or handed over to the Gentiles. He would die, but he would raise again. And from that time, it's like his face was set on Jerusalem. Steadfastly, he was set on Jerusalem because he knew what, that would, hap- what would happen there, what would be accomplished when he made it the last time to Jerusalem. I like what Isaiah 50 verse 7 says. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I will not be ashamed. He, he was so resolute that he was going to get to Jerusalem. He had set his face like a flint and nothing was going to deter him. All these other things that had to happen, his heart and his mind and his, his eyes were focused on Jerusalem this whole time because he knew that Jerusalem would be the place that he would die for the sins of the world. He knew that and he knew that in this time, in this last time, he would go on ahead of them to prove that he was the man he was supposed to be. He was going to die for the sins of the world. And the purpose for Jesus coming to earth was coming to a head. It was all culminating together now. That's why Palm Sunday is so important. It's a pivotal pivotal day in history. Things were about to start moving a little quicker in that week. You see, he had less than a week to live. He still had so much to do, so much things to talk about with his disciples. He was going to be tested and tried by the Pharisees. He was going to be examined closely. And yet he knew he was a Passover lamb. He would die for the sins of the world. And so it says, as, as, as he went, as he set his sights on Jerusalem, again, he could see it from Bethpage area, Bethphage area, it was a couple miles away, and he could see it up on the, on the hill up there. You see, from whatever direction you're coming from, you always go up to Jerusalem, always. And so he, he was going up to Jerusalem. He could see it a couple miles away, and the stage is set, and the players are on, all in place, and it says in verse 29... Um, and it came to pass. It came to pass. Here he's going to give the directions to his disciples and all those things, but here's what's coming to pass. Zechariah 9, 9, a prophecy, where it says, Rejoice greatly, O, daughters, o daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. It's coming to pass. 
this prophecy is coming to pass. And he's setting everything in motion when he tells his disciples as he's looking at Jerusalem, as he knows what's on the, on, on the other little town next door, this little cult. He says, hey, I want you guys to go over there. And I want you guys to go. And, and as soon as you, you go in there, you're going to find this and that. And this is what's going to happen. Oh, and by the way, if somebody hits you up about what you're doing, then you're going to just tell them, hey, the Lord has need of it. Just drop my name, basically, he says. Just, and they'll, they'll let it go. And it's interesting because I don't think that the disciples had a clue. They had no clue that they would be being used to fulfill a prophecy here. I'm sure they knew about Zechariah 9.9. They were all good little Jewish guys. They probably had heard about Zechariah 9.9 in, in school or in synagogue. But I could bet that it wasn't until after the fact, sometime later, perhaps after the Holy Spirit had come upon them, that they realized, oh my gosh, we were involved in that prophecy. Man, oh man, I can't believe God let us do that. See, all they were doing when Jesus told them to go over there, they were just being obedient. They were just, being, they were just doing what Jesus told them to do. And I'm sure for them it wasn't a big deal. When all of a sudden they get there and it happens just like Jesus told them it would happen. I'm sure they were just like, ah, this happens all the time. Jesus always tells us what's going to happen. You know, as for, for them to go and find the cult, oh, there it is. Somebody should be coming. Yep, there he is. He's going to ask us, what, what, why are we taking it? What's this? It's like, hey, why are you taking it? It's like, told you. You know, again, they're probably like, he does this all the time. I like being on his side because he knows what's going to happen. And so it's almost like, like these guys are just being obedient to what Jesus says. And here's a lesson for us. Guys, just do what Jesus says in his word. Just do it. You're going, oh, it's easier said than done. It's like, well, yeah, it is. But just do what he says in his word. You will be amazed and blown away at how he goes before you and how he tells you these things will happen in your life if you just do what I say. And you're going, he said he, he it's exactly what I read about. See, when, when we're obedient like that and we're just doing the things that God has told us through his word, then we will be used for his purpose. Now, you might not quite understand like these guys, these guys probably had no clue what was going on. And you might be thinking, you know, why does God ask me to do this in his word? And oftentimes it's not until after the fact that you realize it's like, God, ah, that's why. You, you, you learn his purpose of why he does things. And then you almost like trip out that you were part of the process of why God wanted to do what he wanted to do. And he uses you. Isn't that amazing? But it's sometimes not after, until after the fact that we realize it's like, that was huge, God. I, I, I was just obedient to what your word tells me. You know, it's, it's interesting because when you're disobedient, you know what the word says about being disobedient. And so it's almost like, well, which one do you want to do? You want to be obedient or disobedient? These guys, these disciples were obedient. Jesus just says, hey, go, go to the other town and go get the colt. Got it. I want to go do it. I want to go, my master has told me what to go do. I'm going to go do it. And in their obedience, the disciples bring Jesus what he has need of. This is what I need. Go and do it. And, he, and they do it and they, they bring him. And what does he have need of? A colt. The fold of a donkey. And I find it interesting that on this amazing day, this day that is so historic, this day that is going to change man forever, Jesus uses a colt, a donkey. Something that is so common. It's not elaborate. It's nothing big. He is going to reveal himself to the world here, basically. That's huge. And yet he uses something that is so lowly, a donkey. And you know, as I was thinking about this, you know, I always kind of go through the other side. It's like, well, what if? What if? What if Jesus would have pulled out all the stops? You know, here, here it's a huge day. It's going to be an amazing day. He's going to proclaim himself the Messiah of Israel. What if he just like went all outrageous on this whole elaborate scheme? 
you know, just going over the top, you know, just getting himself this stretched, tinted windows, uh, kind of chariot, you know, that he's just kind of chilling in there and all the smoke windows there, man, and he has all the bling going on and, man, there's a red carpet that he's going to throw out and he's just like, bam, all the cameras are going to go off and all the paparazzi and all this stuff, you know, and, you know, throw a little news clip out there and, and this is where Jesus is going to be at, man, and the big, huge and, and stuff like that. And it's like, no, he doesn't do that. He doesn't throw out all that bling, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't show off. In this huge, amazing day that's about to happen. Well, we knew prophecy would say that's not the way it was going to happen. But my mind was going all over the place going, man, what if Jesus would have done that? What if he would have like just went totally all over the top? You know, I think, I think that most of us would say like, man, I can't relate to that guy. I, I don't have that kind of bling. Red carpets, unless I go buy myself a little piece of red carpet and roll it out there, nobody's going to roll out a red carpet for me. You know? And, and, and so sometimes it's like people that are that pompous and stuff, it's like, can't relate to him. No, Jesus, Jesus doesn't do that. He, he comes in humbly because that's who he is, humble. And I think because he does that, I think most of us can say, man, he, he's pretty accessible. I, I, I can reach him. He, he, he doesn't have like bouncers. Like, hey, keep away, man. Keep away. You know, he, he doesn't have like, like bodyguards that, that would keep people from coming to him. No, he's very accessible that way. There's no pretentiousness in him at all in this sense. There's no pompousness or pomp, whatever. He's not pompous in anything he does. No. Instead of people being kept away man people are coming and they're flocking to this this thing that's beginning to happen and jesus is just enjoying it he knows what's going on and from verse 35 to like 40 right there it says that they bring this colt to jesus this humble animal for this humble rider But something begins to happen. And I, again, I don't think the disciples had a clue. I don't think they were planning on it. I think it just started happening where the disciples, somehow they were prompted to take off like their coat and, and just put it over the, the colt, you know, and, and make a little makeshift saddle for Jesus to ride on. You know, it, it's like we, we ain't got a saddle, you know, here, let's just, let's just begin to do this. And all of a sudden, you know, they, they, they start taking off their clothes, things, and putting them on the floor. And it's just a sign of, of respect for somebody who, who, who they, they respect and honor. And so they're going to do this for Jesus. And they begin to put all the clothes on the floor. And as, as the little animal begins to walk on top of it, and none of this seemed planned or anything by anyone. But as the disciples are preparing the colt, it seemed like a crowd begins to form as well. Maybe they saw what was kind of happening and, and they're putting their clothes down and people are like, hey man, they start doing it and they start taking off palm branches and, and olive branches and begin to, and, and people are going, what, what are you doing? I don't know, but grab a branch, you know, because we're going to go. There's something going on over there, but they need branches. So br- grab a branch and come and, and just join in. And it's almost like, hmm, okay. And, and all of a sudden, this procession is going to start. You know, it's going to be a two-mile-long t- kind of thing here. And people are just doing and coming. Jesus here is about to let his disciples do something he had never let them do before. He, he, he never, when, whenever he shared stuff with them that was deep, that, that had to do with who he was when he was like revealing himself to them, he always said, don't tell anybody. Don't let them know what's going on. But today he's going to let them do that. He, he's going to let them honor him and worship him in front of other people like this. He had never let them do that before. But you see, now his time had come. He had always told them when other people were asking him stuff, is like, my time is not yet, my time is not yet, my hour has not come, while well, his time had come. And Jesus had been waiting for this particular day, Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is when Jesus was to be proclaimed the Messiah of Israel, 
the deliverer of Israel. And this is huge. This is historic. All of Israel had been waiting for this day to arrive. Oh, they seemed like they didn't remember this day particularly, but, but they had all been waiting for the Messiah to come. It was the day of, the, of rejoicing. And in that day, they were supposed to be rejoicing. Israel was supposed to be rejoicing and praising God because if they didn't, if the people didn't, the rocks themselves would be crying out on that particular day because it was a huge day. It's an important day. It's a pivotal day. The rocks were going to cry out if people weren't going to cry out. And the irony is here is that nobody really knows what's going on except for Jesus. He knows what's, what's happening. He knows what this day means. It was his triumphal entry into Jerusalem as the long-awaited Messiah. The word Messiah means the anointed one. The sent one. The Christ. That's what Christ means. The Messiah. A parade like this, a procession like this was not uncommon. It wasn't out of the ordinary to have some kind of procession where people were laying clothes and laying branches before an honored guest that was riding in this procession. You see, kings and rulers and generals, they would ride on horses or, or things like that, or some animal coming into the city. But with these guys, man, there was all kinds of pomp and circumstance. I mean, they came all regal, you know. They came all like you know, made up and stuff. And man, they had trumpeters and they had everything and they had organizers and they had everybody to come and do this. It was for people that were to be respected and honored. In wartime, they would ride in to a city like this on a horse Mostly the generals or even the kings or the rulers, if they had victory in wartime, man, they're riding in on this big old horse. But in peacetime, it was normally a donkey or a mule. <clears throat> that would be appropriate in peacetime. But a colt, <laughs> a small little animal like that, no, that was, that was different. That was totally different. But yet the people, it says here, were rejoicing and praising God. <clears throat> Not because it was the long-awaited Messiah that was coming in, but because, it says here, for the mighty works they had seen. Many of them had seen Jesus do some mighty works, and many of them knew Jesus. I'm sure some didn't, but many had. Throughout the years, they, they maybe met up in Jerusalem, and they heard of all the things that he was doing. And they had seen many of his works. And so they're there. It's like, oh, it's that guy, remember? It's that guy that that touched so-and-so or healed so-and-so. And so they're honoring him and they're doing all these things. But you can't fault them. Because they should be rejoicing and, and giving praise for the mighty works of God. And they were, they were doing that, but they were missing this whole historical event that was, that was unfolding before their eyes. And, but notice that Jesus didn't rebuke them. He didn't say, why are you guys doing that? You guys got it all wrong. It's, it's, it's not, don't be praising me for my works. This is an important day. You don't see Jesus upset about this big day, his big day. He's not pouting. He's not saying, where's my real saddle? Jeez. I can't even get a real saddle off you guys. Couldn't get a bigger donkey. Jeez. No, he's not getting mad at the people. Matter of fact, he is just enjoying and receiving the praises that they're willingly giving him. He is humble. He is humble that way. He didn't correct them. You guys are idiots. You guys got it all wrong today. Nothing like that. <clears throat> when the people begin to shout, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. When they begin to shout that, they are quoting Psalm 118, 
26. And without realizing it, these people are welcoming the long-awaited Messiah. As they're saying this about this man who they respect and they honor, without knowing it, they're saying, He is the Messiah. Now Jesus knows exactly what is going on here. And He is receiving their worship regardless. But there are others who have joined in, the Pharisees. They, they got caught wind of this procession and what's kind of going on. So they're lingering around the crowd and they're hearing Psalm 118 be quoted. And they, as they've joined in, have a sense of what is possibly going on. Especially as they hear Psalm 118 because it's, it's a messianic psalm. They know that. But because of their deep-seated hatred for Jesus, they want all of this to stop. They don't want to hear anything about it. It's interesting what is going on here. The people really don't know what's going on. The Pharisees have a sense of what is going on. And Jesus knows exactly what's going on. The people are worshiping. The Pharisees want the people to stop worshiping. And Jesus defends the people and wants the worship to continue. (laughs) And he is receiving their worship gladly, whether they know it or not, what kind of day this is. Jesus is defending the people. He is receiving the common people. That's who he is, man. That's why we should be rejoicing. We should be worshiping Him. This was such a a, a big day, such a huge day, that if the people did not worship and cry out the way they did, the very rocks, the stones, would immediately cry out and worship. They would worship the long-awaited Messiah. These stones, if the people wouldn't do that, the stones would have done that. Now, Some of the commentaries I I, I read, some of them were saying, you know, you're really not supposed to be taking that literal. I don't think Jesus meant for you to take that literal. It's it's an expression that seems to be proverbial, more of a saying than anything else. Well, if that doesn't happen, the the, the stones will cry out, you know? So, you know, they they really think that it wasn't meant to be literal. But when Jesus died in Matthew 2751, it says, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. There was a huge event that happened when Jesus died, and yet maybe perhaps nobody was worshiping, and the rocks just, just split. There was an earthquake, and it was all caused by God. Because something huge had happened. And creation itself shouts of God's glory. And maybe at that moment, <laughs> and here my, my mind was going because I'm thinking, man, what if just when we have like these earthquakes or these kinds of things that happen that maybe nobody in the world right now is worshiping. Nobody is praising and then... <clears throat> Things explode or move things. I, I don't know. I caught my, my brain and brought it back in. It's like, hey, get back to the study. Don't get all crazy here. But quite possibly. I don't know. Listen to what Luke said earlier in his gospel. Luke 3, 8. Therefore, he says, bear fruit worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham's from these stones. God can, can use these stones the way he wants to use them. So to me, it's like, I don't know, but I want to take this literal here. That if people don't worship the very creation of God, his stones, they will cry out if you don't. And I'm thinking, we should be rejoicing all the time. Because I don't want to be shown up by a stupid rock. So we need to be rejoicing always. Unless you need a rock split somewhere. But other than that, don't. 
But you see that Jesus here is not going to shut His people up because He inhabits the praises of His people. He loves to hear God or, or people praising Him. Rome, or Revelation 4.11 says, You are worthy, o, o Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power, for You created all things, and by Your will they exist and were created. Guys, we were created to worship God. And we should praise Him with all we have. We should never, ever hold back. We should be crying out because if you don't cry out, the stones will. And the stones don't get saved. (laughs) If you don't cry out, man, we're the ones that have received salvation. The anointed one, the, the sent one, the Christ, the Messiah has come for us. He didn't come for the rocks. And yet those rocks will show us up. If we don't worship. What an amazing sight that would have been. If the rocks would have just begun to, to explode. Somebody told me afterwards. He says, you know the little tip on the little vinyl things. That's, that's like a little diamond tip. You know. and That's like a rock crying out. It's like, okay, you're taking it a little too far. But I understand what you're saying. Didn't think of that one. But I shared it with you guys. But you see, these rocks are inanimate objects. They cannot be saved. So how much more should we be rejoicing? How much more should we be praising the God who has saved us, who has given us eternal life? You should not, we should not keep silent anymore, ever. We should be praising and and, and glorifying Him with all we have. Verses 41 to 44. It says that He drew near the city and he saw the city and he wept it's interesting because you see the crowd rejoicing and as the crowd is rejoicing jesus slips away a little bit and he begins to weep over the city this is the second time we see jesus weeping openly the first time was at the tomb of lazarus there he kind of wept quietly but he wept where people heard him but here, the, the, this weeping here is a loud lament kind of weeping, agonizing over something. This deep-seated ah scream of, of, of wailing and, and weeping. He was mourning over the future of Jerusalem and its people. Jesus showed compassion to Jerusalem. But he also foretold of the days that would come that they would lie in ruin. Why? Because they missed this day. It was an important day. And so Jesus, in a sense, rejects Jerusalem because they rejected Him. John 1.11 says, He came to His own and His own did not receive Him. And so He weeps over the city because its, its people did not understand. They did not understand the significance of this day and what was going on on this historic event. If the nation of Israel had accepted him that day, then he would have brought peace because he is the Prince of Peace. But because they rejected him and they didn't understand that today was your day, and he says, and the things that make for peace, but you will have none, you will be ruined. But because the people didn't recognize the coming of the Lord, the day of their, res- uh, of their visitation, they would be totally destroyed and it would start in 70 A.D. by the Romans coming in and just decimating Jerusalem and just destroying it. But you see, it was more than that that day. <clears throat> they missed the prophecy of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. The prophecy there, and we're not going to get into it, it's a long study there. But in that prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, it foretells of the very day that Messiah would be cut off. That He would come and He would be cut off. And it was that particular day that Jesus rode in. It was on Palm Sunday that Jesus rode in on that day and everybody should have known, especially the religious leaders, they should have been counting down the days from that prophecy. But they missed it. And so Jesus laments over the fact that they missed it. These religious leaders, man, they kept 
kept close track of all the things in the Word of God. And yet because of their hatred for Jesus, they were blinded from the prophecy even. They missed it totally. It blinded them. Their hatred did. And that's why Jesus said, if you had known, especially you, in this your day. Jesus had come to save. And in righteousness, he was giving them a chance to recognize it all. And they missed it. Isaiah, or Zechariah 9, 9, once again, Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, riding, or lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. They missed that one too. (laughs) That was so obvious, wasn't it? Oh, wait a minute, man. It's a colt, (laughs) foal of a donkey. Their, Their hatred blinded them from all of that. They missed out because they had this chip on their shoulder that it couldn't be him. And guys, that day, the clock stopped on Israel. The nation of Israel was put aside. But he will deal with them again. He will give them another chance when the church age is over. And there will be a seven-year period. It's called the seven-year tribulation. That is when the clock starts up again and he deals with Israel once again. He's the God of peace. He came for them. You see, we are still in the church age today. We are in the age of grace where the Prince of Peace has shown Himself to the world. He has shown Himself to you. He is the Prince of Peace. And He brings peace so that we can have peace with God and that we can have the peace of God in our lives. That's who He is. That's what they missed out on. That's what we get to experience, His peace. Today is the day of your visitation, even as a Christian. Rejoice. And praise God. Praise God that we live in an age of grace. That we have received salvation. Guys, because of those things, we should never keep silent anymore. Or else those rocks will show you up. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, and you know that, You just don't know where you stand with God. Today is the day of your visitation. God brought you here today because He wanted you to hear this, that He shows up, He invites you, and He says, today is the day that I'm revealing myself to you. Don't harden your heart. See, the Pharisees had such a hard heart towards Jesus that nothing as obvious as, as Zechariah 9, nine as obvious as that was, they were blinded to it. As obscure maybe as Daniel chapter 9 was, which they should have known, they were blinded to it. And maybe you're here this morning and you've been hurt by Christians or you've been hurt by the church and you're saying, nope, I don't want it. And God's saying, today is the day that I'm visiting you. Receive it. I want to read to you a scripture from 2 Corinthians 6, verses 1 and 2. It says, We then, as workers together with Him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For He says, In an acceptable time I have heard you. In the day of salvation I have helped you. And then he says this, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you are not saved this morning, if you are not a born-again Christian this morning, God is inviting you to have salvation. You cry out, He will save. That's what He says right here. Don't harden your heart. I beg of you, do not harden your heart. I want to give you an opportunity to receive Him this morning as we close in prayer. I want you to to think about where you stand with God. And maybe some of you who have been coming here for years and thinking you're a Christian, but there's never been any fruit, and you're going, man, it's just a, a game. I'm faking out everybody else. But God knows, guys. And I want to give you that opportunity. So let's stand as we close in prayer.
Father in heaven, we do want to thank you and praise you, Lord God, for this morning. For just how significant this day is. How pivotal it was when Jesus rode in on a donkey, Lord. Lord, you changed everything. You revealed yourself. And this morning, Lord God, once again, you have revealed yourself to your people. And I pray for my brothers and sisters right now, Lord. I pray that they would be rejoicing and praising God for the salvation that they have received from you, Lord God. That they would never, ever keep silent because of that. That they would be overjoyed continuously, Lord. I pray for those who are here who don't know you right now, Lord. I pray that in the name of Jesus, you would just capture their hearts as you have revealed yourself to them through your word this morning. I pray that their hearts have been touched. And you know, right now, I just want to give you that opportunity as as many of the Christians are, are praying right now for you, that you would not leave here without receiving Jesus into your heart. If you have received him, you're in. But you know if you are or not. And I just want to give you an opportunity. Um, we're all standing, but raise your hand so I can pray for you and just kind of just, just lead you in a short little prayer. Is there anybody in here that needs Jesus? Raise your hand. And that's all you got to do. It doesn't matter what other people might think of you. Today's your day. Guys, I don't, I, I don't want to just move on and say, oh, well, I'm saved. No. We care about you. And the people that brought you care about you. Is there anybody? We're going to have the prayer teams down here in a little bit. And maybe you're a Christian who's been struggling with this. Whether you're standing in Christ or not. And I want you to come up with them and pray with them. Don't leave here without getting prayer. So let's just finish off our prayer. Father in heaven, again, Lord, I just pray that if there's anybody here because of the pressure that they might be feeling, that they they just didn't feel like they, they could raise their hand, Lord. I pray that you would bind the works of the enemy from them and that they would receive you this morning, Lord. But I pray for my brothers and sisters, those who are struggling, those who are hurting, Lord God, who feel this condemnation and this guilt always, Lord. I pray that th- this morning you would free them up. Lord, I do pray for the prayer teams that will be down here, that you would give them wisdom, even as they pray for these brothers and sisters. And so, Lord, we bless you and we thank you. We love you, Lord, for being so gracious, for showing yourself, for coming and changing the course of history, Lord. We bless you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll have prayer teams down here. Uh, Don't leave.